everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lawyers in the Making podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nate Crespo, and today we have another amazing guest. He's a Florida State University College of Law graduate and currently works as a member of Pomerantz Law and as a Chief Executive Officer of Empire Street Realty. He has held past positions as a Senior Vice President at Mortgage Connect and as counsel to Altisource Portfolio Solutions. Ecstatic to have him on the podcast today, Mr. Jeffrey Pomerantz. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing today? I hope I said your last name right. I say this every episode. You you did appreciate the intro. That was uh that was a lot of memory lane that you just read through. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm happy to have you on here, and I we will be sure to start going down that memory lane. But Jeffrey, before we get started, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I uh, I serve as a fractional general counsel for high growth companies. That's probably 80% of my practice. And before have, opening my firm about six years ago, I spent about a decade as an in-house attorney. So let's start. Let's go all the way back. See, we have a connection here. Uh, Jeffrey graduated from UAlbany with an accounting major in 2008 and they decided to go to the beautiful state of Florida. Lucky him. I'm still stuck in Albany. What was the sort and and I forgot to say this, but also went to the un, the Florida State University College of Business as well at the same time. So what sort what was sort of the factors going into the decision to go to Florida State? Why'd you go? And also I have to ask, how did you do the uh, go to the law school and the business school at the same time. Sure. So, <clears throat> so I actually graduated from SUNY Albany in 2005. And the uh-huh. summer prior, I guess between junior and senior year, <clears throat> as an accounting major, I got one of the coveted internships. So if you're an accounting major, at least back then, the big four accounting firms have these ideal internships where you work out of New York City, get paid really well, and if you do well there, almost everyone's assured a spot as a first-year accountant when they graduate from school. So I did this summer internship, uh, hated it, and used a lot of my time to study for the LSAT because I couldn't imagine being an accountant and doing the the grunt work of ticking tiny numbers for a couple of years, um, it was just it was it was not a good fit for me. So I ended up applying to law schools because I wasn't looking to be an accountant, didn't know what I wanted to do, and enjoyed my business law classes. So I figured I'd just extend school for a bit while I try to figure it out. And I remember going on spring break my senior year and coming back and calling my parents because you didn't have cell phones back then, really. And they said he got a big package from Florida State. And I got in. I was like, okay, guess I'm going to law school. So I moved down to Florida, didn't know anyone, and really enjoyed law school. I think if the business law classes uh, strike a chord with you and they resonate and you like the, the logic and the reasoning and the, and the analysis that goes into the, those types of classes, law school could be a really good fit. Um, 
So I enjoyed it. It wasn't easy. I think undergrad was kind of coasted for a lot of it. And law schools was definitely a step up, both in terms of the, the talent around you, the competition, if you will. And uh, the material itself is like learning a new language, plus having to develop some study skills and things like that. So it's definitely an adjustment. And then after, I think my, after my third semester, I was kind of, I think, middle of the pack, if you will, in terms of where my grades were. And uh, one of my buddies <clears throat> was talking about getting an MBA. I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I looked into it, took the GMAT, did really well on it. And then uh, Florida State, the business school, offered me a graduate assistantship uh, plus, I want to say a full scholarship for the MBA. So the, the net of all of it was I was able to get my MBA while doing the law degree. So the joint, the joint degree, it only took me an extra semester. So rather than finishing law school in three years, it took me three and a half for the extra courses. And in whole, it was actually less expensive for me to get my JD MBA than if I had just finished law school outright. Plus I got on a journal. I mean, there was a lot of benefits to it, but it, it just it worked out really well uh, as a whole. And you know, I think through the, the MBA and some of the things I did as part of it, I think it helped me land my first job out of law school as an in-house attorney. Yeah, that that's that's an amazing story. <clears throat> Just for the fact that you somehow ended up going doing the law school and business school and coming out with more money than actually less money, because you, yeah. <laughs> which is just insane to think. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you just kind of look at options. Um, I'm I, I'm state school educated from when I was a little kid all the way through college. And, and the graduate degrees, um, I think if you're going to go you know, top 10 school, top 15 school, you know, it makes sense, especially if you get into like an Ivy. If you're not at that level, I, I think cost should be a uh, significant factor into your decision-making process as you're looking at law schools. I, I hear about people taking on these, these crazy debts to go to a – a lower to your school. And it's not to say you can't have a good career. It's not to say that you can't do really well for yourself. I just think it's your options when you graduate are going to be significantly limited because depending on what you want to do, certain doors are just not going to be open regardless of how well you do. So I think it's important to kind of look at the landscape as far as future opportunities against the hard cost of law school and then obviously the opportunity cost of going through and not working for a few years and developing other skill sets. So I'm, a, I, I, I'm glad I did it. I enjoy what I do. Um, I don't know if I would enjoy the profession though, if I was working for a big law firm or if I was still in house. Uh, I think a lot of what I enjoy is because I run my own firm and there's a lot of, uh, the the autonomy that comes along with that is fantastic. There's you know, it comes with challenges, of course, like anything. But 
I, I think it'd be really difficult to quantify the value of having autonomy in your day-to-day, -day, the clients you choose, the work you do, et cetera. Yeah, I, I, I personally could not agree more. I, I think some people, and clearly for yourself, are, are just not wired in a way where they can work a nine to five job. Uh, I, I know myself, uh, you know, my schedule is always all over the place. I'm still getting stuff done, but, you know, I, I, I like to do things in, in sort of small sort of, you know, three hour segments where I'll get a ton of work done and I'll kind of have the rest of the day to myself. It's sort of that 80-20 principle. Uh, yeah, it always... I, I don't I don't I don't know if I would, I would agree with that statement so much. Um, I think that when I refer to autonomy, I'm looking at not how I'm spending each minute. Because when I worked in the house, I mean, no one was really like hovering over me and saying, I have to do this or, or be here at this time. Um, I do see, especially, I was talking to someone about this today. When you come out of law school, I think it's imperative, maybe more than other professions, that you find good mentorship. Uh, I, I deal with a lot of big law attorneys in matters, and I deal with a lot of people that graduated law school whenever they did, maybe like even. 10, 15 years my senior, and they just open up their own firm. And the delta between those two professionals is so vast. It, it's almost like I'm doing a, a completely different job. Um, I think the mentorship speaks a lot to just developing skills, understanding how things should be done, and not necessarily in your, your being the attorney's best interest. Um, and I think not having the that guidance at your nascent stages of your career can really be uh, a challenge. Yeah, the the nine to five is good. Or it's not really nine to five. It's more like an eight to question mark. But <laughs> <laughs> you finish law school. You start working in house as a law clerk as at the Florida Housing Finance Corporation. Uh, Florida. Sort of. Sort of. Okay, so, so explain that. So okay. I had a, so in law school, I got an externship with them. Externship? Yeah, I think they got an externship where I think I got school credit for working there X number of hours a week, whatever it was. And I really enjoyed it. It was quasi-public, quasi-private. I think they, uh, it's a private company, but they received like public funds. And then we're tasked with like dispersing those funds based on a competitive uh, bidding process for developers to build housing that both had normal housing as well as for low income, like mixed, mixed developments. And they put on these uh, competitions, but they put out bids and effectively developers would, would compete to get money from or, or really it was tax credits from this this entity so I, I i externed there and they liked me so i they hired me as a law clerk it was actually cool i got to do two they're not trials under administrative law but two hearings with licensed attorneys on the other side who were fighting for their clients over like $5 million in tax credits, like not insignificant sums. And you know, people were paying these attorneys. One was from Holland and Knight, the other from, I think, Greenberg. 
so I mean, I worked my ass off and <laughs> prepped, and I ended up winning both of them, uh, which was really cool. So you know, you pr- you prepare live hearing, and then you prepare brief. Like it, it was it was fantastic. So I worked there for them, and then they weren't looking to hire me full time, and just randomly texted a buddy if where he was working if they were looking to hire someone and he introduced me to his uh his boss benny shaw still still close with him i see him probably once a year he's a great guy retired um super sophisticated individual and i remember he met me over at a restaurant that is no longer there they had uh, an annual like festival and he offered me 20 hours a week, even though I was already licensed in Florida as a law clerk. And a little bit of uh, eating the humble pie, if you will, where it's like, wait a second, I'm licensed. I got this JD MBA and I'm offered 20 hours a week at like, I don't know, 20 bucks an hour. Uh, but I accepted it because I figured he knows I'm licensed um this is my opportunity to show that i'm good so i worked 20 hours a week and at night studied for the new york bar because i had all this extra time on my hands and then went up to new york took the bar uh ended up passing it and then when i came back down to florida after taking the exam he offered me a full-time gig so it was you know my my takeaway or for any of your listeners, the takeaway I would have is if you can crack that door, uh, even if it's a position that may be below you, it's worth taking a shot at it if you think it's going to be a, ultimately a good fit. And it ended up being a great fit for me. My other mentor, uh, who's still the general counsel of that company, uh, ended up being fantastic and really showing me a lot over the years of how to negotiate, develop soft skills. Um, we got great at dealing with contracts and various other issues, um, learning business. And I think that was a great foundation for me as I grew in my career. Yeah, it, it's inspiring to hear that from, from my perspective, uh, that people are always willing to help and always willing to sort of point you in the right direction, like you said. And you you have a decently large large following on LinkedIn. And, and that brings me to this sort of question of how important, can you describe how important networking networking has been in your life and, and mentorship as well, <laughs> and how important it can be for, for other people's lives? So I'm actually, or historically, uh, I have not been a good networker. Uh, I would say for the entirety of my career as an in-house attorney, I didn't network with anyone at all. Uh, for you know, the first four or five years, I was up in Tallahassee, um, small city. It's a great city, but it's small and pretty spread out. I mean, I'm sure there are things going on for young lawyers, but... I never got involved with them. And then I was international for four, a little under four years. Um, I didn't do any networking when I was abroad and then came back to the States 
when I was up north for a little bit. I was in Atlanta for a little bit and then up north for a little bit. And then I moved down to South Florida. And I wasn't really networking. I mean, I tried some stuff where I'd go to these events. And what I found was when you go to these just ad hoc events where anyone's allowed in, uh, it's a lot of, or I would say almost entirely me, me, me. Like, listen to me. What can I, like, I'm trying to sell you something. Listen, so you can help me make money. And it always came off as disingenuous. It always came off as, frankly, just a complete waste of my time. So I didn't, that wasn't really a focal point for me. I think a lot of what I did was just kind of put my head down and just work and and hustle as it relates to growing my firm. And then over the last couple of years, I joined a networking group, which I've really enjoyed. Um, It meets regularly, built some really good friendships with folks inside of it. And I think through that process, I kind of have a better understanding of what networking is uh, I always had it in my mind where it was out and you're meeting people and uh, trying to develop your business. And what I've learned through the process is it's really just getting to know people where there's a trust and an understanding of like who you are, what you do. And that if they were to take one of their clients and introduce you that you're not going to F it up that you're going to be someone that's going to make them look good in the process. And the only way that's going to happen is if there's a mature relationship where you've maybe done a deal or two with them, where you've had some actual tangible experience. Um, so that, that was a, that's been a good learning curve for me. As it relates to LinkedIn, uh, the first time I posted really anything, like ever, on any social was uh, August 6, 2022. And I remember because I was at a buddy's house and I had spoken with someone who had been posting on LinkedIn. I reached out, I was like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what, what's going on here? And he explained to me like the long-term play of writing on LinkedIn where you build up an audience and the trust and people will comment and engage and it just builds over time. And I remember putting a lot of thought into it. The post was um, analogizing indemnification to the game of hot potato where you know if someone gets sued and they demand an indemnity from you. It's like, well, hot potato, I don't want it. You pass just the next guy down the line. The hot potato being a lawsuit. And I was so proud of it. I thought it was great. <clears throat> we got, I don't know, 1,000 views maybe, maybe 500. It was nothing. And... A little disappointed, but I was like, all right. And I just kept coming back. And I remember I posted every day from nine, <clears throat> from uh, August 6th through the end of the, the year. And I don't remember the, the aggregate number of views. Maybe it was like half a million across all those posts. Um, maybe not even. Maybe it was just a couple hundred thousand. But it was not. It was negligible <clears throat> in terms of views per post. And... I just kind of kept at it and I tried some different things. I tried playing with my tone and, and the way I went about it and how I was writing it to whom I was writing. And I've just gotten better at it. It's like anything else, right? You do it enough times, you're going to figure some stuff out and it's going to improve. And 
in this past December, I made like a really concerted effort to post daily. A thing I missed maybe two or three days for the, for the entire month. And ended up having, I think it was like 2.7 million impressions, averaging like 100,000 impressions per post, gained like 1,500 followers. And it was just like, this is crazy to get this amount of uh, visibility where the there's a metric called uh, CPM, cost per meal. And my understanding is the cost per meal so the cost for a thousand impressions on LinkedIn is $27. I think there's some like numbers out there where it shows it being less than that. But if you really want to like target your audience, not just for the world, but if you want to be like hyper-focused to whoever you write for, um, and my audience is really comprised of executives and, and attorneys, it's around $27 per thousand impressions. So that month, I earned media of like 75 grand. Like that's what it would have cost me to generate as much visibility as I did. And it's just because I've put time into it over the last couple of years. Um, so, that, I mean, I could spend an hour talking about LinkedIn, but I, my, my general feedback or thoughts on it are like anything else. It's better to start now and put some time into it and really think through who who the, your target is. And if you can write a message to that person regularly, two years from now, you're going to be really happy you did that. Yeah. I, I personally cannot agree. <clears throat> I mean, you know, for myself, I, I've, I've been, uh, I've been doing the same sort of thing this semester. Uh, I've been trying to have at least two episodes a week. That's my goal for this semester. I think uh, it's awesome. And, and it's I not pre- easy doing this. I appreciate that. I, I really do. I mean, I, you know, I, I just got the passion for it and I really do enjoy it. I truly do. Uh, I love I love talking to people, uh, clearly. Um, but, you know, I love having conversations with people. I love, you know, sort of learning because I am learning through this podcast. I, I really am. I, I've, I've learned some really valuable lessons from, you know, the past 16 people I've had on this podcast. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of that that it's funny because two episodes ago I had Elizabeth Larrick and and she has her own podcast as well and she called me a content creator and I was like yeah I guess I am uh 100% 100%, 100%. I mean look I think something as simple as right you you put this podcast out in your junior so you go through senior year and if you hit you know say at that point you've done 150 of these episodes I guarantee you that if you reach out to the 150 attorneys a year from now and say like, hey, can I intern before my first year of law school? Someone's going to offer you a job, right? Just because you put yourself out there, there's that hustle mentality. You're doing something that's not typical. Um, It just shows a lot of initiative. So when I just brought on my own, I just brought on a clerk, uh, last week, actually. And the first thing I said to her was, you just have to give a shit, right? Like in everything you do, you just have to care because I'm not going to stand over your shoulder. I'm not going to make sure that you're working your five hours, you work from home, but you got to care about the work. I'll teach you, I'll mentor, I'll spend time on things, I'll answer questions, 
But if you don't care about it and want to put out the best possible work product there is, you're just not a good fit for me. And I think having someone that shows initiative that will do work when no one's asking you to do work and taking the time to edit and do your thumbnail and make sure it's on all the different platforms and so forth. Cause I know it's a lot putting all this content out there. Um, to me, it's just like, yeah, this is great. And you're going to develop some technical skills too, whether it's learning how to do you know, post on the different platforms or understand how some of the algorithms work. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many, so many benefits that you'll derive from it, especially if you ultimately try to look to like monetize it or write content around it to, to promote it. Like so many good, so much good stuff can come of this. I, uh, I have to agree with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely have a, a lot in the works and in, in that sort of realm. Uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot of, of, you know what? What am I? What sort of marketing am I going to do? What? What? You know, like like you did with your LinkedIn account, sort of changing your tone, so that A/B testing sort sort of outlook on things. And I and I have to ask, what what sort of A/B testing were you doing with your own LinkedIn? I guess to get a little bit in the weeds, of it, you don't have to get really in the weeds of it. But you know, sort of just the surface level sort of stuff. What were you kind of doing? Uh, I don't know, like. <laughs> Like at the, up up until maybe like three four months ago, the best post I had written was uh, typically I write like I come out into my garage, I have a good like home gym, and between the fresh air and kind of getting some movement, I'll think of something. I'll sit down, I'll write for ten minutes. It's usually like my cap in notes, and then the next day I'll I'll preview it. Uh after I drop off my son at school and I post it, that's it. I like, I stopped responding to comments and engaging with other people's posts, all the things that you're supposed to do. Cause it just took too much time. Mm -hmm. So I spend about 10 minutes a day at most on LinkedIn and that's it. And if it, if it plays, I'm, I'm happy. If it doesn't play, I kind of look at it as why, but I haven't done like deep analysis into AB testing. I try to write stuff that I find to be interesting uh, which is why I'm able to do it in 10 minutes versus something where I put a lot of thought. And like, I'll give you an example. Uh, Carta, I don't know if you saw what happened. Carta uh, started contacting one of its clients' uh, shareholders, pitching the shareholder or asking the sh that shareholder if he or she would be interested in selling the interest in this company. And the founder of the company who made this post was like, this is so messed up because no one knows about this shareholder. It's a family, friend, um, and Carter is like soliciting them for their business because obviously they would make some type of fee or commission upon the sale. So I, re I read about it and this post like went insane. I remember looking at it, it was a Friday or Saturday night at like 11 o'clock and I like was looking at that and then went to the terms that used for Carta and went back and it had like, I mean, hundreds of in, hundreds of engagements, maybe a thousand engagements within like an hour. Like it was just skyrocketing. And I was like, all right, this is super interesting. So I deep dove Carta 
I went through the terms of use, went through the privacy policy. I went through like all the agreements that they have online and put together an analysis of like, yeah, they really don't have a right to be using their clients' private information uh, or the shareholder information uh, as their own Rolodex for prospective clients. Like that's not kosher. And it, it, it got like 3000 impressions, like it's nonsense. <laughs> So just like having some fun and simplifying a legal concept. Um, I did, did that the other day for joining several liability. I did one a couple of days ago for Asian. So like, I just have fun with it. And those like, you know, I'll get one of those. That's 20 or 30,000 impressions. Um, I did one the other day that had like half a million. And I was like, I don't know. I think the algorithm is sometimes it does phenomenally well. And sometimes I post stuff that I think is going to be really good. And it doesn't play. And I, I haven't figured it out. I don't think anyone has. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I have not either. <laughs> um, it's it's an interesting one, the, the LinkedIn algorithm. Uh, I've never really, really looked into it. Maybe I should. Maybe that should be my own little, my new little project. But the, 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 to your point, though, what you were saying before, uh, the, the, authentic, the authenticity is usually what's most important in any sort of content creation because it, it sort of it gives it that deeper connection with people um that it is really you typing behind the screen and and not someone just trying to you know sort of fix the algorithm i see that a lot on youtube not to call out the people on youtube um but you know they 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 do things in a certain way where it is only for the algorithm and you know, not not saying that their content is bad or anything, but you know, we know we know their purpose for it. Whereas, you know, some someone like yourself who's authentically posting all the time, uh, you know, it it gives much more value to people in that deeper connection. Um, I, I, I try. It's just it's it's not easy. I'll put it that way. <laughs> That's just why. I think the key is if you do it regularly, it's a it's just a muscle like anything else. You do it regularly, it makes it so much easier to write. If I take a week off. Getting back into it is like, is a struggle. Mm -hmm. I think my best content, honestly, is when I'm on vacation, such as like I'm abroad and, you know, in Europe or whatever, um, and I'm plus six hours. I wake up, I have my morning, whatever. And I write for 15 minutes. I don't feel super rushed. It's great content because my mind's, my mind's relaxed and I can think about things. I'm not in the, in the thick of it. So no, everyone's different. Some people do it where they write. It's called batch, batch writing, batch posting, where they'll write like seven posts and they'll schedule them out for the week and they're done. I can't do that because it feels forced. So if I'm not feeling it, I don't write. Um, yeah. Whatever it is, it needs to work for you. I think that's that's the, the key. If you're going to do it, it, be consistent and then write for something that feels natural or post something that feels natural uh not because other people are doing it absolutely now here's here, here here's the here's the question here. a little bit more of a personal question it's a new question <laughs> um, well not a new question i've asked it like the last 11 episodes um but i always i always started out as saying like you know it was a little weird it, you know what to be honest is because i asked it one time to someone and everyone was like that's a weird question and i'm like no it's not um but 
what are the sorts of things that you are consuming, not food, uh, sort of media, uh, may it be, you know, you're on, you're on X or, or, you know, Instagram, what are the sort of things that are crossing the transom of your mind every day? If you have any favorite uh, people either, you know, shout out, <coughs> this is your time. Sure. So, uh, I listen to the My First Million podcast uh, pretty regularly. I think those guys are uh, are a great listen, but they also I find myself coming up with ideas as it relates to my business from listening to them. And they talk about entrepreneurship. They talk about scaling businesses. They have interesting people come on the show. So that that's a regular one. Um, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty busy and between running my, my law firm, I got two young kids, uh, wife, try to be healthy daily. Um, I coach soccer for my oldest. So I don't have a lot of like, quote unquote, free time. Mm -hmm. 10 o'clock at night, I'm in my garage about to work out when we're done with this. So. Yeah, um, I'm going through a crazy renovation on a commercial property I bought that we'll be moving into, God willing, in the next, I don't know, 30, 40 days. So that's been in the process for the last two years. So there's, uh, yeah, just a lot in life. I think you'll see that, you know, wherever you are, whatever stage you are, your career, like I'm sure you feel like you're busy right now. Like you have a lot going on. And I know I did uh, when I was in school. And then let's say you get married, like there's another element to it. And then you have your first kid and then you have your second kid and you're doing that in parallel as you have these jobs that you're working a lot. And your capacity that you thought was capped just continues to expand and expand and expand. Um, but we're all capped at 24 hours a day. So it's how are you what are you doing to maximize that time and finding ways to be more efficient? Again, going back to the question you asked, it's why I enjoyed consuming that. But other than that, like sitting down and reading a book, like if I can find time, that's, that would be great. But uh, I'm probably working on something for someone uh, in lieu of doing that or my firm itself. Well, well, I'm I'm happy to hear you're a very busy guy. I I I and to your point that the sort of capacity is I think it's even better point because I always feel like I can always do more. Maybe I'm not doing enough, but uh, you know, as as more things start to get into my life, as you said, you know, marriage, having children, having a family, even buying commercial properties, um, that that sort of thing is is something I aspire to be at myself. Uh, and I just like to say I'm very happy. You might you are the first, my first million listener ever on the podcast. Congratulations, Jeffrey. I'm very happy to have a uh MFA. Are you are you as are you as well? Oh, huge. I almost I almost went to one of the 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 get together events they were having all over the country. I was very interested. I almost did it. Um I love yeah, those, guys, those those guys are good. I mean, I've come up with some really good like ideas I, I just overall if you I think one of the things that I find interesting is that there are a lot of smart attorneys out there and going back to kind of your audience in this podcast I don't 
I feel like I've met a lot of smart attorneys. I don't feel like I've met a lot of smart attorneys that are also good business owners. And this type of content is a good way to kind of bridge that gap, especially if you don't have a business background, right? Like if you've never owned a business and you're a poli-sci major and then you went to law school and you worked for a big law firm and you do, I don't know, litigation or appellate work, like class action, like you're not going to learn business. Like you've never really had exposure to it. Uh, opening the firm, I mean, it's just like, there's so much, there's so much to do. And I saw it when I first opened the firm, it was like, you don't need to bill a lot to be kind of at the same level as you were as an employee. The taxes are better when you own your business versus being a W-2 because you have deductions versus when you're an employee, you don't. Um, so to be like net neutral, you don't have to crush it depending on what your salary is. And the sky's the limit. You're not going to your boss and saying, oh, can I get an extra five or 10% or $10,000 raise? Like, no, you can go out and hustle a little bit more and go make an extra 100000 And I think once that light switch clicks for you, there's just so much opportunity. It's just a matter of if you're smart enough to identify it and then do something about it. Yeah, I, I think it also goes back to sort of that autonomy that you have in, in owning your own business. You, uh, you know, obviously, the, the great thing is you have the freedom to, you know, control and, and control your schedule. But <laughs> on the other hand, you also have the burden of like, I need to control my schedule having all this freedom. Um, you know, you're clearly juggling it beautifully. It's, you know, it's, it's <laughs> the beauty of the juggling uh, act. I, I don't know if I would couch as beautifully. I would say it's more like, <laughs> I'm keeping every all the the balls in the air. Uh, some days maybe more graceful than others, but I, I don't think I would ever describe it as beautifully. It's it's always a challenge. It's just a matter of understanding what you can do and how you're not going to get it all done, and and setting realistic expectations with those who uh, may be relying on you for something. I think that's key. Last question here, Jeffrey. I do this at the end of every episode. What are your words of wisdom for the aspiring law students, the current law students, and the legal profession out there in the world? Aspiring law students? Uh, uh, aspiring law students, law students, legal professionals, what are your words of wisdom? Words of wisdom? Um, it's a long career. So not all of not everyone's going to be on law review. Um, not everyone's going <clears> to <throat> be top of the class. That's just the reality of it. Um, it's great if you can get one of those big law jobs out of school. Uh, they pay great. Uh, I think you could have exposure to some interesting work and sophisticated clients. Doesn't mean you're going to be doing interesting work. Uh, could be a lot of grunt work, but it's great money. Uh, there's a lot of good opportunities out there. And your career, you graduate law school, mid-20s. You look where you're going to be 20 years down the line, which I'm almost there, which is kind of nuts. 
you're going to have some really high highs. Uh, you're going to have some lows. I've had both. I was able to do, be international for a publicly traded company. Uh, worked out of a C-suite for a long time. Uh, had some insane exposure at a really young age. And also had some transitions where I didn't know what I was going to do. So I think both are good. It's good to find the success and it's good to find the failure and how you kind of claw your way out of it. Uh, it's good kind of knowing that bottom is because there's only one way out and shit happens. You're going to, not everything's going to work. You're going to have bad bosses. You're going to have bad work experiences. You're going to find stuff that you don't like. And I think what's key and where I'm at now is I really enjoy growing my firm. I, mean, I think that's like the most fun part of what I do. I love interacting with my clients, trying to help them figure out what, how to solve their issues and be commercially um, responsive to their needs. And that's a perfect fit for me. For others, it may be showing up in court every day or um, not having the responsibility of growing your firm and just working for someone, getting your vacation and you leave and you're done. Like there's no one answer. I think it's, it's important to try a bunch of different things, figure out what you like, and then hyper-focus on that and realize it's not going to be a, a month or a year or five years. It's, it's a long career. And to treat it with this level of professionalism, not compromise on your ethics ever, because once you start teetering away from that, and that line is gone. Uh, thing if you maintain those standards and you look at it in the big picture of it, it's a really good profession. Um, just have to keep that perspective. Well, Jeffrey, that was, was, it, was that was beautifully poetic. You you, you, couldn't, you couldn't you couldn't put it <laughs> better. I'll be honest with you. It was it was deeply philosophical. You hit all the big points. Um, Thank you. But Jeffrey, that's the pod. Thank you so much for coming on and. For everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in, and I will see you in the next one.